0: This week on Our Thing.
1: Everything is sort of cloaked in this rose-colored glasses kind of concept. Then there's this whole subversive... But we can torture them if we don't like what you're
0: doing. Novelist Teresa Mueller imagines the consequence of a future in nanotechnology.
2: My mantra has been for the past several years, to finish my life well. For God.
0: And fan favorite Kathleen Barrett returns in a special Encore presentation. Stay tuned for the most entertaining hour in radio. This is our thing. With everyone's favorite ex-gangster.
3: What's up? Welcome back to Our Thing on 1010 10, The King. Welcome to a new year. Good year. It's going to be a great year. It's going to be an amazing year. Me and Bill Crooks, Partners in Crime podcast, who is my partner in crime on this show, I will say this: I was just at a church function, Bible study, and we were talking about you know the new year and our plans for new year. And I was telling them, no matter how bad the year is, it's better than those years I was in prison, bro. Thirteen years in prison, I celebrated thirteen new years, calendar years in prison. And I will say this: I never actually celebrated them. Like I didn't have a party or. The holidays are the worst time of year in prison. Frankly, they are. And it's like where everybody else in the world is getting up and cheerful and, you know, gifts and getting ready for parties and food. Like in prison, you're miserable. But I will say this. I was one of those few guys who would typically make some Christmas decorations. I'd make a little Christmas tree out of cardboard or green crepe paper. And I'd make these little, like these beads from the hobby craft. And i make little ornaments and I'd make like a happy new year sign. So I did kind of celebrate me and Albert, you know, Albert, my old cellmate. Sure. We we would always uh, kind of have a, a new year's feast, a Christmas day feast. It still sucked being in prison, bro. It's just like, the holidays in prison just suck. So now, all these years later, When I get to look around at my nice cozy home and my five cats, I have a couple of good friends, Bill's one of them, I have a nice little church I go to, I'm fed, God is good in providing, I'm here, I'm happy, I'm free, I'm healthy, I'm like, man come a long ways and, and God is good that's all I can say is you can't complain when you look around and you have all these things and the opportunities this particular year I got a lot going on a documentary on me the TV series being made on me and two books I'm going to publish this year so that should be fun Bill I know you're happy to hear that I'm going to publish Blind Sight 2030 yeah I'm
0: happy about both of them man. I'm waiting for that beta reading on Snowman
3: it's really ready I can only send you that Snowman Chronicles now I think you're going to be the last of polish i'll send it to you tomorrow and check it out you'll love it yeah i'm fine for it anyway so that's happy new year to anyone who's listening and tuning in and if you haven't listened to our show ever we typically have on a couple of interesting guests every week usually authors interesting authors who have interesting stories and backstories behind the stories and that's what we're going to get into today oh wise guy eh and you know what that means? That means this week's edition of Street Beat. This is a segment of the show where Bill Crooks reports on the latest underworld activities, crimes, and happenstances. We don't celebrate anything bad in the world that's happening criminally. However, we do find it kind of interesting to report on it. So, Bill, what say you? Well,
0: happy New Year, but not in Mexico. Never in Mexico. This is a predictable and unfortunate follow-up to our previous story, where farmers in the village of Texcaltitlan and a small surrounding town were backed into a corner by cartoon extortions. Remember that?
3: I had a feeling this was going to end like this. Just for the record, like when you told that story, I'm like, in a week or two there's going to be a follow-up to this story and it's going to be very bad. I'm assuming this... Yeah,
0: we said it. We said it. So just to recap, if people haven't heard these guys were getting extorted from a cartel, they reportedly fought back on December 8th, hacking, shooting, and burning 10 gang members with sickles and hunting rifles. Four villagers also lost their lives in addition to the 10 members. Gang members. And at the time, while we admired their brave defiance, we also warned that it wouldn't be over. It wasn't. A drug cartel in central Mexico has now kidnapped 14 local residents, including four children ages 1 to 14, in apparent retaliation for the uprising, according to officials. The abducted adults include three police officers. The head prosecutor for the state of Mexico claims no ransom demand has been received. But residents of the village report that the Michoacan drug cartel has demanded an exchange of the kidnapped children and adults for the leaders of the initial uprising, presumably looking to cut the head off the proverbial snake. Most likely, this is why there was no sequel to The Three Amigos. That's your street beats.
3: The <laughs> Three Amigos. Yeah, cut the proverbial head off the snake. That's exactly what they're going to do. You know, you're the head of a gang leader who's, and the people are revolting. You know, You know what to do. You just go kidnap some of their kids and hold them for ransom until you give me the guy who started the revolt in the first place. We'll kill him, probably kill the kids too, just for good measure, just to make sure we drive home the point. And then after that, nobody will uh, challenge us again and everybody will pay us, sell our drugs, and do our bidding, essentially.
0: That's the thing I wonder about. Do you think this uprising was a planned attack or do you think it was just things got out of control and it was a turn of events? Because it seems to me it was the latter.
3: I am in no position to speculate. Maybe they was was a planned attack? Maybe it was just a spontaneous uprising where emotions were high and and people were riled up. And next thing you know, one guy pushed a guy, and that guy pushed a guy, and this guy pulled out a knife, and that guy pulled out a gun, and bang, bang, bang. bang, bang. Next thing you know, your people are hacking each other with machetes, and there's a, you know 14 dead people in the street. I don't know. Or they were like, "Yo, I'm sick of them coming in here, shaking us down, taking our chickens and our food, making us sell drugs, whatever, whatever." Next time they come in and try to shake us down, we're gonna hack them up. With machetes and kill some of these suckers. But, you know, these are the last people you really want to pick a fight with, man, you know?
0: That's what I'm saying. They know better than us, and the first thing we said was, they're coming back.
3: Oh, they're coming back.
0: So, I I think it was just a turn of events that got out of control. The fact that they had hunting rifles and hatchets and machetes, they weren't armed for a a real uprising, you know what I mean? And you would have to have a coordinated effort between many villages, and like, we're going to kill them all. You know, that would be an uprising. This was a situation, I think, that got out of control, and it ain't over yet. So, I'm sure In a couple weeks, we'll have some more bad news. Yeah,
3: the sad part is if the whole town or village was to band together and forget the money, because there are people who are involved in the gang, they're making money, drug money, bribery, whatever, whatever. If you get everybody in the community to band together, arm themselves, and just say, hey, listen, anybody comes in here trying to, you know, shake us down, commit crime, whatever, we will either arrest you or kill you, whatever, beat you, then I think the gangs, theoretically, would probably move on the greener pastures and move on to the next victim.
0: And just being devil's advocate, even if, say, they won, there's the leaders that organized it, right? So now you got to come to him for protection.
3: Yeah, right? <laughs> <laughs> now
0: you're being extorted by this guy.
3: <laughs> the leader of the uprising is now shaking the people down. So, that, you know, I'm saying? you got to pay me. Exactly. It's almost like a mob war. It
0: it's- is. You know, it's just like, like you said, the vacuum always gets yeah, filled.
3: It never ends. It's too bad. Well, I guess that's it this week of Street Beats. When we get back, we'll have our first guest of the night on. So stay tuned to Our Thing on 1010 The King. We'll be right back. Hey, have you checked out Our Thing apparel? It's the original gangster clothing brand that lets you represent where you live, featuring t-shirts, hoodies, vintage tracksuits, and more. Our Thing Apparel allows you to customize your clothing for your city or state. And now we're proud to launch our Atlanta line of urban casual wear. Check out ourthingapparel.com and use the promo code 1010 when checking out to get 10% off your total order.
1: Make Our Thing your thing.
3: 100 people that call today will get a free tax consultation worth $500. Stop worrying about your IRS problem. We can help you, we promise. Call the tax doctor right now. I mean, right now to learn more. 800 322 8714. 800 322 8714. 800 322 8714. That's 800 322 8714. What's up? Welcome back to our thing at 1010 The King. And I'd like to welcome to the show my next guest, Teresa Mueller, an author of a really interesting sci fi kind of book that I'm super excited about. I'm not joking. This is one of those books that I geek out on. And it's funny. My wife was talking about Christmas story. And I said, I've never seen it from start to finish. She says, Oh, my God, where were you as a kid? I said, at that age, I was watching Terminator, the greatest movie of all time. And she's like, You think Terminator is the greatest movie of all the time? I said, Yeah, based on the writing, the quality of the story, the the paradox. I start going into the story thing. She's like, You gotta be kidding me. You never seen Christmas story. So, what made me think of this is Teresa's book is kind of like a modern day, I won't say Terminator, but in some ways, kind of, there are similar elements to the Terminator story. It's a mm-hmm. futuristic, kind of cyborg ish story of artificial intelligence and technologies begin to blend with humanity until. Yeah, well, I'll let her tell the story, but Teresa, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you very much. I'm very happy to be here.
3: We're happy to have you, so...
0: We were getting warmed up in the green room before you got on, Gunner, so we've covered the major genres of cyborg movies.
3: (laughs) Yeah, oh, man, Cyborg is awesome, man. Seven of Nine. I'm a huge Star Trek fan too. So I was like, mm-hmm. Cyborg, like Seven of Nine. She was hot. So listen, let me go back in time to your story a little bit, Teresa. Like, where are you from originally? Where did you grow up? And what was the evolution of your writing career? Like, what led you to the point where you decided you're going to write? Because I know you worked kind of this industry a little bit, and that led you mm-hmm. to this idea. But tell us about it.
1: Yeah, so I was born in the Chicago area, lived in Chicago a couple different times. Basically grew up in the Chicago suburbs. I was always a huge sci-fi fan. I can remember being a little kid when 2001 was broadcast on national television for the first time, didn't miss it. And it just went from there. I was a little kid of standing eye to eye with this old black and white TV, watching the astronauts walk on the moon when I was a little kid. And it really had a dramatic impact on me, just imagining the astronauts out there and, you know, learning about the technology, about how could we do this amazing thing, send people to the moon. And so I've been enthralled with science and astronomy, technology and things like that ever since. You know, my career now, I've been a nurse for quite a few years now. And over the years, I've taken care of a lot of people who've had things like prosthetics and various implants, really important things to help with their quality of life, to help them live longer lives and happier and more satisfying lives. You know, the the more we dive every day into the future, the more these things are evolving. These technologies are really evolving by leaps and bounds, and it kind of made me wonder and think about, well, where's healthcare going to be in 20, 30 years from now, 50 years from now? What sort of amazing things are going to be there for us in the future to utilize, to help people, to help ourselves, to live better lives, to live healthier lives? I mean, diabetics have insulin pumps now, and so there's all these really important things, but how far is it going to go? and right. at what point does the line get blurred and it's so just always fascinated me i've been writing ever since i was a little kid um i used to write little stories and short stories you know all the way going back to grade school and used to make these little books and write books even when i was a kid So to me, it was almost like a natural evolution that I would just get to a point in my life where my kids are grown, they're independent, I'm not running around after a bunch of little kids, I've got a little time on my hands, and I just wanted to see if I could do it. I always loved the process of writing. That creative process has always been really exciting to me, and I really have enjoyed through writing this book, and now I'm working on Sequel. But it's a way for me to push myself. It's a way for me to be creative. Yeah. But in choosing the topic I chose, I also did a lot of scientific research because all the science in the book is based on current real science that actually exists now.
3: Really? So none of it was embellished or made up? No.
1: Listen, I certainly took fictional license because yeah. I'm kind of taking the current technology and projecting where it's going to be in, you know, whatever decades from now. So certainly I'm taking that and I'm guessing, you know, I'm throwing my best guess out there where it's going to evolve to, but it's all based on current technology pretty much that exists now.
3: Well, it sounds to me like you've always been creative and a writer just waiting to happen. Mm -hmm. So, tell us a little about the story. I know it's the late 21st century, so it's not that far off in the future. Right. Tell us a little about the story and the main character and what the evolution of the story
1: is. Sure. So, the main character really carries the story. The story is written from her perspective in the first person, which also is challenging to write that way. But, you know, I'm always up for challenging myself. So it's all written in the first person. And I really want the reader to walk in her shoes with her, to feel her frustration, her fears, the different emotions. I really want the reader to feel the exhaustion that this person goes through their their uncertainty about things. And they don't always have all the answers. I don't want to give too much away, but the character herself evolves through the whole first half of the book. The character evolves certain understandings about herself and her place in that world of the future that I created. Where does
3: the plot go?
1: So, the first half of the book, she is searching for her family. She's become separated from them for lots of different reasons that all sort of culminated in her ending up lost and alone and she's got to find them she wants to find
3: her children what's the world like at the time is there some kind of war or battle or political
1: well there have been a lot of i call it quietly insidious things happening at the political level with various world governments eventually that has led to the point where there is one overreaching world government there are still countries in name, but it's kind of for appearances. Yeah. But really there is one political entity that governs the whole world. They kind of do so in Big Brother style. They can see everyone everywhere and they know everything that's going on and they can literally get inside people's heads and control them and influence them. So this them. is
3: based on a future technology they can actually have mind control over them. That's Very right. A real possibility.
1: That's right. So basically the greater population of the world, if they don't comply, and they don't do what the government requires them to do. They're basically tortured. They're tortured. Their families are tortured from the inside out. They
0: use videos on TikTok, don't they? (laughs) Right? They
3: force people to sit there and watch TikTok videos. That's how
0: my son tortures me. Oh my gosh. Yeah, that would be
1: torture for sure.
3: The government is overstepping its bounds. The one world government, essentially, almost like the Bible predicts. I'm Mm -hmm. assuming there's some kind of chip that we all have in us. And now they're able to almost read your thoughts and direct your thoughts and tell you what to do. So as far as your main character, I'm assuming she is some kind of resistance fighter maybe, or she
1: resists this. Yeah. In in fact, there's part one and part two is kind of how the book is set up. Part one and part two actually have a fairly different feel from each other because part one, it's this whole evolution of getting to know the protagonist going on this journey with her seeing where it leads her. And then part two, she, she knows a lot by that point. And I don't want to give too much away, but it's a very different feel. And in part two of the book, she meets up with a group of other people and they are called the resistors and they're trying to resist. They're kind of off grid. So what it involves is it involves nanotechnology. The people who are resistors do not have the same kind of nanotechnology in them that the whole rest of the world does that's controlled by this other government. Now, how did that happen? Well, they managed to avoid it. But the thing is, they're all outlaws because in terms of this government, if you don't ascribe to getting their nanotechnology implanted within you, then you're against the law. You're going to yeah, be- persona non grata. That's right. That's right. So those people are considered to be outlaws and not conforming with the world laws of requirement for every person on Earth to have this nanotechnology implanted.
0: So you can see a lot of things happening now, though, that could lead us yeah. to that, right? Like, they need a benefit to make you take it, right? Like, imagine this. If you can't get a job because the specialized skills required to do a job are on this chip, we put it in every day when you clock in and we take it out because you're not going home with our skills. These are our skills, yep. right? So if you want to work, you got to have this That's skill brilliant. implanted, which
1: will be unimplanted or deactivated when you yeah. leave. Yeah. You can see how easily we could slide in. Oh, and yeah. Yeah. Well, in the story I wrote, one of the big benefits is we've got these nanobots and they can fight viruses and bacteria and they can repair tissues. You can live to be 200 years old and a healthy 200 years. And, you know, who knows how long life can go on. So come on board, everybody. Get these things. We'll make them cheap and we'll make them mandatory. But it's because we can close down hospitals. It's good for you.
0: Right. And just imagine if they took a paraplegic Mm -hmm. and they put the nanotechnology in them and now they can move and walk how overjoyed the family is how overjoyed the friends are and yeah. now we trust it it's a good thing and we're just being broken yeah. down little by little into i've seen yeah. the good it does, program you
1: know? right well that's what it is it's everything is sort of cloaked in this rose-colored glasses kind of concept that hey this is going to be great and yeah. it's going to be the best thing for humankind and then there's this whole subversive But we can control you and everything you think and everything you do, Mm -hmm. and we can control your families and your loved ones, and we can torture them if we don't like what you're doing. There's the polar sides of this technology where the lines really get blurred. You know, the protagonist knows deep down that the things that are going on are just wrong. But also, she's one person against this billions of people, large establishment, the world, And then the other thing that's kind of going on during this time is that human beings are really venturing into space. They're going to the moon, they're going to Mars, because that technology has also evolved. And I kind of like to think of it like the world of the vastly large meets the world of the infinitesimally small. And where they come together is somewhere between science and humanity. And where's it all going to take us? Because science and technology is advancing so rapidly now, who knows where things could be in a handful of decades from now,
3: you know? Well, The problem is absolute power, what do they say? Yeah, it's like absolute power corrupts absolutely. Right. So, this is what's happening because if you put this type of technology, even weapons, into the wrong hands, it gets yep. abused, right? So, at first, This probably was invented by some scientists and some engineers who thought this is going to be great for humanity. We're going to have people walking. We're going to bring back their eyesight. We're going to cure all cancer. We're going to Mm -hmm. have other... And then some evil people said, hey, listen, if we can get ourselves into power and we can force this on people and then program them to right. do what we want, we can control them and we can yep. control the whole world. Therefore, there comes the absolute power and corruption. In your particular story, is there a like a major war that happens?
1: Well, I will say not a major war in this book, not saying that won't come in sequels, But in the second half of this book is when you start to see more resistance, the resistors are getting a little more organized and trying to do something. And so there's something kind of cool that they pull off towards the end. And I'm not going to reveal that, but it's sort of cool. Definitely some battles there. I'll just say the second half. But the other interesting part that I that I can share is that because human beings are wanting to venture into space, because we're such explorers and we want to go see what's out there and more of it, some of these technologies, as they have in the past, came from the space program. And our protagonists used to work in the space program. The plot thickens. Yes, yes. I
3: guess your protagonist, she kind of figures it out and is now organizing a resistance. Mm -hmm. I'm sure the odds are immensely stacked against her. Oh, yeah. I'm getting a sense that the space travel part of it is important.
1: Very. It's very important. It figures prominently here and there throughout the book. The story rides on it, basically. So it's a lot about the space program, NASA, and how that whole thing evolves.
3: I'm thinking about weapon systems in terms of what the Resistance could use to counter. Do they create their own type of nanobots? Or is there some kind of electromagnetic pulse that kills the nanobots? Or is there anything like that?
1: Uh, There's a lot like that. Like I said, a lot of that comes into play more in part two, but Mm -hmm. yeah, they are working on some weapons they are working on ways to defeat the nanobots
0: right plus it didn't happen overnight and like the terminator that was kind of like an accident technology out of control this was a calculated effort by design to convince us to give up our humanity it, you're right yeah. so this is a long time coming yeah. how yeah. would they do it they'd have to break down the family unit and desocialize people that's right, right. Yeah. you could see we're doing that now family units almost come and gone now you yeah. got your video and your phones where kids are at a party and they're all on their phones they're isolating yeah. Yeah. you know the divide and conquer phase is uh we're well within
3: that and the timeline wow. is perfect too because, like you said, right now, today, first of all, kids don't even go to parties. If it is a party, it's on the internet, right? Yeah, when they're they are at a party, they're staring at their phone or on a video game, or yeah, something, a right? yeah, a watch party, yeah, watch party. So, <laughs> so, but what will the world look like? in 100 years from now, or 75 years, or whatever it is, in Teresa's books, the end of the 21st century. Who knows? Maybe her book sparks into motion a paradox that actually becomes a reality. Some scientist reads her book and says, hey, listen, I can create these nanobots. And before you know it, Teresa, you're the blame. Way to go, Teresa.
1: (laughs) You know what? People are going to do what they're going to do, regardless of my book, I feel like. But it was an interesting delve into imagining what could oh happen. And getting back, talking about weapons, as a matter of fact, I'd say one of the most important and powerful weapons in this book, this story, is a microscope. So think on that one for a minute. But
3: So they can draw blood and see if the nanobots are there. So I get right. It. I feel like one of the most powerful weapons, if I was writing the story, I would create some kind of either virus mm-hmm. that attacks the nanobots. Right. Or some electromagnetic pulse that renders them dead or useless. Mm -hmm. Or there's just mass murder, Mm -hmm. which is always an option too for the for the bad guy. Yeah,
0: the electric pulse is dangerous because our brainwaves are electric pulses. Yeah.
3: Right. So you'd have to design it in a way that it didn't kill you, but it would only Mm -hmm. kill the bots, which is that's tricky.
0: Yeah.
1: A lot of different ways I've looked at continuing this, which is why I do want to turn it into a series. I'm working on the sequel now, so I've kind of vetted out some of those ideas ideas because it's a pretty complex story so any yeah. one of those things you just mentioned is a potential for the future of the series yeah.
0: You know, while we're smoking pot, no pining on this, what if you pictured the Earth as a singular organism? You know, and like when we have kids, it's because we want to perpetuate our bloodline and move on, right? So if the Earth had the same inclinations, it's been evolving species and species and species, trying to find one that can finally get off of it when the Earth is finally done and perpetuate itself somewhere else. Mm -hmm. And uh, humans are the best choice so far, but not good enough, so the nanotechnology is a natural evolution of this to create a hybrid yeah. that can finally get the hell off the planet because the planet is dying and earth lives on through whatever exists that's pretty brilliant
1: mm-hmm. well like i said i mean space exploration figures very importantly into the story and that's there, there still is even decades from now in this fictional future there's still this drive to be explorers and, and go out there and figure things out and find more things and they are finding interesting things out there the solar system and
0: what speaks to i think the genius of Teresa's story look how easy we were able to
3: jump in (laughs) our simple (laughs) minds yeah so do you got an excerpt you want to read
1: uh i do actually i have what i think is a good little tantalizing excerpt that hopefully captures at least some of the feel for you know the style and some of the action that happens in this book so go ahead and get started Judith wrenches my arm, and in one swift move, she hurdles us both to the right into an area of darkness, and we're running again. What? I hear her say quietly to no one. We're almost to you. Be ready. Five seconds. She pulls me harder. Ace, we're almost out of this. Just don't stop running, no matter what. She's not even bothering to whisper any longer. I feel guilty for my clumsy feet and being a hindrance. As we come to a door that's ajar, the floodlights glare behind us and I hear the sound of many boots. Judith pushes her way through the door just as automatic gunfire rings out behind us. I can hear bullets whizzing by my head, making a breeze on my cheeks and ruffling my hair. Time stands still in this moment, and I have the ability to contemplate how lovely the bullet breeze feels. I'm thinking of this even as the projectiles enter my back, slowly ripping me to shreds. Must be like cutting steak with a butter knife I'm used. As Judith yanks me through the doorway, time catches back up with itself, and I'm being thrown into what I think is an EC marked ave. Tires screech, and I feel movement as I lay on the floor gasping. I feel immediate exhaustion and realize Judith's taking my clothes off. I don't like it, but I can't even lift a hand in protest. I try to speak, but the only sound I hear is a harsh gurgling noise. If I could only get a breath of air. This AIDS movement feels different, jerky and unbalanced. Something is wrong. I see a person sitting at some controls. Lovers, I think. I understand. This person is somehow driving this Ave rather than the Ave just driving itself. Everything outside the windows is a blur. I know we're going much faster than an ordinary Ave would go. I tried to talk again, but a wet, bubbling sound is all I can make. I'm drowning in my own blood, my life oozing out into a pool of stickiness under me. Judith searches my eyes, and she sees terror in them. But she also sees my fervent desire to be gone from this hateful world. I believe in this moment that frightens her more than my mortal wounds. The fact that I'm glad to be going. Mm,
3: Man, that's awesome. I I feel like they injected her with some nanobots and fixed her really quick, I hope. Oh
0: my God, that would be the
1: ultimate irony. Right, right. (laughs) You'd have to read the book to find out, but I will say that's not quite halfway through the book. So it's not like the end. (laughs) No, not even close. That's not even close to the end of the book. So we know
3: that the resistance battle is not a passive battle. It's violent and there are people trying to kill each other. Well, it makes me want to read it. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, another one I can't wait to read. What it does, books like this is the reason I started writing. Honestly, I've written 10 novels. now. It's because when I hear stories like this, just hearing it is enough to spark my imagination in the full bone. like, where can I go with this, you know? And I could go Mm -hmm. forever. I could write a 10-book series based on just this right here and and go. But that's the fun part about a story like this. It's the reason why sci-fi readers love to read sci-fi. Stories like this allow you to take your mind and go to places where most people's minds will never go. So that's why I love books like this. And I hope people definitely buy it and read it. Tell them before we go where they can find your books and where they can find you. Are you on social media? Thank
1: you. So on Facebook, I have an author page. Just look up T.E. Mueller. And then I also have a group on Facebook, which is dedicated to this first book. And the group is the same title as the book. It's called Vast. And then you'd have to put in a semicolon. And then 57 seconds. Vast is the name of the series. So you put that in. And then it's the numerals, 57 seconds. So that's my Facebook group. Everything I post to that group is related to the book and the story in some way. Yeah. And so that's the best way to find the book online. But the book is listed with Amazon, so it can be purchased there. And then you can get the Kindle version of it too. Some people do a lot of traveling and stuff. They don't want to carry a book around, but they like the Kindles. The other way you can find me, you can get to my author page through my main page. And that is Pie T-E-R-I-P-I-E. So that's my main page, and then everything else should be connected to it. Then I have a Facebook page dedicated to Cyborg, and my website is called cyborgage.com.
0: And I've been to that very cool site.
1: Yeah, yeah. The book is featured on the website with links to get it from Amazon. So everything is all linked up pretty well together. Once you find a couple of places, you can find all the rest.
3: Perfect, yep everybody make sure to go to cyborgage.com. check out her books links to her books and everything that she does make sure to check out her on social media follow her hopefully she'll have another book coming out soon we'll have to have her back on promote it and talk about that i'm kind of excited to see where she goes
1: well thanks again guys appreciate your time thank you so much we appreciate have you good one. take care thank you
3: bill i think we have to take a quick break and then when we come back we'll have on our next guy stay tuned on 1010 the king it's our thing
0: What's up, Atlanta? It's Bill Crooks from Art Thing Radio Show. Gunnar and I love showcasing creative talent regardless of the medium. That's why we're really excited about Atlanta Stitchworks Custom Upholstery. It's Georgia's premier custom shop for all your interior needs. Serving you with 16 years of experience and quality, they truly are second to none. My good friend Fernando Moreno and team will help you bring your dreams and ideas to reality. They specialize in handmade interiors for hot rods, low riders cars, trucks, baggers, choppers, and of course, Marines. They'll even handle your audio and window tinting. Any material, any design, anything you want. Tailor-made for you at Atlanta Stitchworks. For free estimates, please call 404-503-3949. 404-503-3949. That's 404-503-3949. Or if you're shy, just email atlantastitchworks at gmail.com. They'll take great care of you. Just tell them Bill and Gunner sent you.
3: What's up? Welcome back to 1010 The King, our thing. I'd like to welcome to the show my next guest, Kathleen Barrett. It's a pleasure to have you back on the show. She's got a great story, and this is one of my favorite kind of stories to share. She's a Christian author, a children's book author, really has a compelling young children's book, and I think this is the perfect time of year to be promoting the children's book. This is before Christmas, for the holidays. What I like about children's book authors is that Especially if they work a message or a theme into the stories. Children, their minds are so impressionable, and they're also so absorbing when they're young. If you can get them, A, to just start reading, it's a huge win. And B, if what they're reading has a good message in it, whether it's like out there or it's surreptitious and kind of has an undertone, it's the same thing because it sinks into a child's mind, whether they realize it or not. And reading a good children's book could change your life. How many of us have read a children's books when we were young and still remember it to this day? And we still remember the story. We still remember the characters. I'm fifty years old. I could name five of them. And they all have this little message in them. Anyways, I'd like to welcome you to the show. So welcome, Kathleen. How are you?
2: I'm doing well, Gunnar. Thank you. And everything you said is spot on about getting the children early. And this is for the love of Big Beluka, a tale of family, faith, friendship, and forgiveness. It's kind of a a Lassie kind of a story. Remember Lassie on the sitcoms? Of course,
3: yes. Before we get into that, I'd like to talk a little about you, where you're from, and what was your life path that led you to this point where you started writing children's books?
2: Oh, goodness. That's a lot to unpack there. My young years, I grew up in a little town called Hawthorne, New Jersey. We moved away from there in 1957 and came to florida so we've been in florida since 1957 so i'm practically a native here Yeah, i grew up in a very loving protective home protective parents had three siblings and i was always sort of a introverted child and i don't think i discovered writing until i was in the teen years and my first published an accepted article. It's a speech that I had written for an American Legion national commander.
3: My grandfather was an American Legion commander, huge in Detroit. Yeah. Everybody knew him. He was very loved, but he was a big deal in the post. That was his oh, life. Yeah.
2: My dad was commander two times in his post in Fort Lauderdale. But the speech I wrote was for my sixth grade teacher. And I wrote it when I was about 18 years old. And uh, he won commandership that year. And I don't know if it was a speech.
3: It might have been.
0: Yeah, but for 18 years old, that's huge to be able to write a speech of that
3: caliber. Yeah, for a yeah.
0: teacher. You that's know. not normal.
3: Yeah, for your, no. t- your old sixth grade teacher from 10 years ago.
2: Exactly. He was my favorite teacher, too. And so uh, I guess the writing has been in my bones for a long time. And I do not only children's writing, but I do inspirational writing. I write blogs. I've been a newspaper reporter doing feature articles and magazine articles, poetry, yeah.
3: Oh, wow. So you've always been a writer.
2: Yeah, you had your own calling for a while, right? I did, in a uh, community newspaper. Mm -hmm. So what was that like? Oh, I love that.
3: What did you write about?
2: Well... Because it was a community newspaper and specifically in my neighborhood, I went around interviewing different people and finding stories from neighbors. Oh, that's awesome. It was so fun. Yeah.
3: Yeah. That's a great gig.
2: It was.
3: (laughs) What has been your favorite writings so far in your life? You're a pretty tenured writer, obviously, at this point. What is the thing you love most uh, about writing?
2: I think it is my blog that I like. Books and Blogs for Spirit and Soul is what I have named it. And I think when God gives me just a title or mm-hmm. a scripture verse, and then I sit down and I ask the Holy Spirit, please give me what you want on this. Mm-hmm. So I think blog writing has been my favorite thing to do. Uh-huh. And also I've had a few articles in magazines, so that's been nice. But. I would say my favorite is blogs.
3: So it's the spirituality type of writing that you enjoy the most. Inspirational, faith-driven kind of writing, which is amazing.
2: And
0: your blog is available now. You have a website and your blog's on that, right?
2: Yes, it is. So we'll
0: have all those links and we'll talk about that at the end, make sure people can get to
2: that. Thank you, Bill. I appreciate that. So
3: spirituality and inspiration is, is kind of your foundation for your writing and inspiration mm-hmm. too, really. It's double entendre there. But what's the piece that you're most proud of? Do you have any one particular book article anything like that that you're really proud of that you feel like was the one
2: gosh i can't pick one off the top of my head i have to say they keep getting better and better though i know it's not me oh she's a writer
3: (laughs) i like it well how does the big beluga rank in there yeah and that's a great name too
2: okay thank you yeah the big beluga was 30 years in the making this book right here and finally during covid i felt really impressed to get this book done why good question because my mantra has been for the past several years is to finish well to finish my life well Amen. for God yeah so this was one of the things that had been stuck in the back of my filing cabinet for such a long time and it had a message and it was based on an actual mistreated dog in our neighborhood his name was Josh my children took him in and loved on him and tried to help him as best we could. And they renamed him The Big Beluca. So it starts out as a true story, but then it builds yeah. and it's actually fiction.
3: Basically, as a writer, almost every book starts off with a tidbit of true story. So tell us a little more about this book. It's a good story. I want everybody to kind of know the story. And this is for the parent who's looking to get a gift for their child. What age group would this be for?
2: Well, that's an interesting question. I had written it for like eight to 12 year old range, but the first month that it was released on Amazon, it became number one, three times in the month of October. Wow. And I discovered that there were many adults buying the book.
3: Well, now, were there adults buying it for their kids to read? Or no,
2: I have a friend who bought 50 books for her adult softball team, and they read the book, and they said they couldn't put it down. It's an easy read. It's a sappy, kind of old-fashioned, just sweet story. And I I think Nowadays, we need something
3: sweet,
2: something simple, something loving, something that teaches value.
3: Yes. So tell us about this story. We know the dog was based on a dog that you happened to adopt and found. But in this particular story, I know that kind of a bully was picking on the dog and the girl intervened, I believe. And tell us about it.
2: Actually, the real dog was a neighbor's dog in our neighborhood in, in Florida. He was... Neglecting and abusing the dog
3: that that kills me and Bill because we're big animal lovers, so like big, big animals. Are
2: you really? Oh, yeah.
3: Bill adopts animals, all his animals are like old animals that nobody wanted, and he adopts oh. them and he takes them in and gives them a good life till they die. And he's it's, 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 it's a saint
2: that's beautiful. He's got that a wolf, a-
3: he's literally got a wolf. Yeah, I do have that a- wolf.
2: You do, yeah, yeah. that's amazing. <laughs> He's a really old wolf. Oh my gosh, you guys are too much.
3: So back to your book.
2: So anyways, Meg, the protagonist, she's an 11-year-old girl who gets off the school bus one day, and she sees the dog being kicked out the front door. And that sets her in motion to get her brother and her friends and go on this quest to rescue the dog. And funny things happen. There's tidbits of humor in here. Even now when I read it, I laugh and I think... Where'd that come from, you know? Your mind. (laughs) My mind, yeah. It's a fun book. And the one section in here that I'd like to read is in Chapter 17, where the dog's abuser is invited to Meg's house to talk to the family. This is an important part of the book. May I read it?
0: Absolutely. Please do.
2: Okay. He's a good old Southern boy, this Mr. Verner. W.C. Verner is his name. I want you to know that I called that there clinic this morning to check on Josh. He's doing real fine, they say. They took x-rays and blood samples and all. Gave him a bath and shaved him down. Took the knots out, I guess. I can't bring him home, though. The officer said I'm going to be charged for animal cruelty. Guess I deserve it. I've been a mean, no good cuss for a long time. Werner confessed with his head lowered. Mr. Verner, God doesn't see you that way, Meg said softly. Verner quickly sat up and folded his arms. Sorry, I don't want to hear anything about your God. He took my wife away, and now he's taken my dog away. He doesn't love me or care about me. We are sorry to hear that, Mr. Verner," Mrs. Wilson said. When did she pass away? She didn't. She left me, and I blame God. Mrs. Wilson thought it best to end the conversation there, but Meg did not. Mr. Verner, some people hurt so bad that they begin believing that God doesn't love them. But I tell you the truth. His love is deep and wide and long and has no end. Nothing can stop him from loving you. There is something we all have to do, though, Meg replied. Meg's family listened in awe as she spoke to this troubled man. Miss Meg, I know what you're going to say. I've been to church a time or two and I read my Bible sometimes. I know I have to ask for forgiveness. Gosh, darn it. That's why I'm here. Werner choked up a long and awkward silence filled the room. The budding missionary and veterinarian drew a deep breath and then spoke. Mr. Werner, I'm the one who needs to ask you for forgiveness. Once again, there was an awkward silence. Verner squinted his eyes and his big, bushy brows furled. I, I don't understand, he said, looking at Meg and then at the rest of the family. Meg continued. Sir, I have been very angry with you. I've been thinking bad things about you because you mistreated Josh. I didn't even want you to come here today, but I'm glad you did. Now, I want to ask you something, Mr. Verner. I have to know. Will you forgive me?
3: Oh, uh, I I love that. It's, <laughs> it's beautiful. I can. I'm picturing Meg, this cute little kind of quirky, smart girl, sweet girl. I like that message, Bill. Don't you like? Oh you know, yeah, it's, it's amazing. It's amazing. The Christian lean of it. It's it's powerful. I mean,
0: it is. And I read reviews of your book, and they were all overwhelmingly positive. And the one thing that kind of irked me, and even though this review was 99 percent positive, it said that the thing it lacked was a major trauma or obstacle for one thing i just heard it okay the other thing is right. i don't, I think they missed the mark there's this stigma now that if you're watching a show or if you're reading a book they can't be all happy the ending can't be too good a happy ending has to have a little bit of bad a little bit of sad and a little bit of unseen yeah. tragedy and it can't just be good and i find the older i get and especially when i'm watching with my kids I want the happy, you know, yeah. I want this dog to be okay. I don't want this dog to die. Oh, but it had a puppy, <laughs> you know, so the puppy, right. lived, you know, and it's like, why can't the freaking dog just <laughs> live for once?
3: You know? I mean, that's a great point. Really that's a great, great point. Why can't there be something good? Why can't it end on a good note? Well, especially when it's yeah. a kid's right. b- Yeah.
0: Why can't it be that? There was a movie, Benji, it was like a remake, you know, mm-hmm. Benji. And my daughter is very sensitive, especially when it comes to dogs. And there's this scene where Benji jumps off this train and lands flat down on a platform. And they're like, ah, you know, Benji's dead or whatever. And she lost it. Okay. And it didn't matter that later on, Benji was okay, hated the movie, yeah. cried herself to sleep. And I'm like, yeah, he was okay, you know, but it didn't matter. It was so dark. For yeah. people to say, like, oh, you know what the children's book is missing? A little bit of darkness. No, it's not missing.
2: No, there's enough right. darkness in the world.
0: Yeah, it doesn't belong yeah.
3: there. And nobody yeah. wants Yeah, there's it. enough so, yeah. darkness.
2: This is the 17th chapter. I think I have you know. 23 or 24 chapters. So there's still tension, but not graphic pain and darkness. There's tension. Yeah. The little girl,
3: she's smart enough. And evolved enough spiritually to know that even though she was having these mean, dark thoughts about him, that she was in the wrong for that herself. Yes. And she asked him to his face to forgive her for that and try to make it clear that if I can forgive you, God can forgive you. He loves you. That's a great message for kids. That's a great message.
0: It is. And I love it that even the bad guy's not
3: really the bad
0: guy. Yeah,
2: exactly. Yeah. You never fall too far that God can't lift you out and forgive you.
3: What a great message for young people. Thank you. Books like this, Bill, should be mandatory reading in grade school. Thank you. If they would just say, we're going to read one book a week in our English class like this, and they would absorb these type of stories imagine how much better our society would be you know what i'm saying imagine how much more stable it would be where kids will have absorbed information that reminds them that god is real he loves you he forgives you and also tells them how to behave have empathy for the bad guy neighbor And especially have empathy for the the dog people today they don't care about anything except themselves and that's what we teach them in society that's what we teach them in school on social media it's like listen we need more characters like meg is what i'm saying yeah for sure right it makes for a happier child yeah Happy society
2: yeah i think so i'm happy to say that i donated 25 of these books to the saint lucie county library school system therefore this is in the school systems in the library so if a child happens to pick it up and reads it it'll bless their little hearts if they check it out and read it you know god is offensive to many people unfortunately
3: yeah these days
2: oh i wanted to say something about the cover too if i may because that's our, a beautiful story the young girl she was a teenager 16 years old When she drew this cover, it's a pencil sketch of a Bernese mountain dog. She is legally blind, and her bio is in the back of the story. Her name is Phoebe Yablonski.
0: And so people can't see it, but it's the portrait of the dog. Picture a close-up of his face, and it's really well done. And if you saw it, it looks like a professional drawing that fits the book perfectly. Thank you, Bill.
2: Yeah. Beautiful young lady. This was her first commercial-type work. You would never know. She did this from a picture that I sent her. And her mother wrote me and said, Phoebe is sketching out the picture. She would get real close to her work within less than six inches to sketch this out. And it took her 13 hours to draw this picture.
3: It's a beautiful element of the book. Thank you. I love this, man. Anyone who listens to this, if you have kids, spend a couple dollars on this book. Buy it for your kids. Tell them to read it, but also maybe read it with them. And When these powerful moments take place about God and spirituality, have a conversation with them. I don't want to ruin the end, but I mean, I kind of do. (laughs) I want to know what happens. Rabies. <laughs> oh, God. Rabies. That'd be so dark, Bill. Well,
2: of course, she has this big backyard picnic and invites her school friends. And there was even news reporters there. And uh, at the very last minute, she wasn't sure if Big Beluka was going to actually be hers or not.
3: Oh, so she's falling in love with this dog. And now she's yeah. dreaming about it being hers.
2: Yeah, she was hoping, but not until she saw Mister Verner standing at the gate in his snakeskin boots did she know that he had a gift for her, and the gift was an adoption certificate giving her the rights Aww. to Big Baluka.
3: Oh my goodness, that's, so, that's gonna make me cry. It's I, I, a I love it. Story. Be- uh, I love it because the message is there. The message is yeah. good. And they all lived happily ever after, except
2: <laughs> the snakes. <laughs>
3: this exactly. The day they'd be like, "Look at this guy; he's a killer of snakes. Got snakes in boots on." Anyway, that's a sweet story, and I love the ending too. It's you know, kind of redemptive on his part. It has a good message. This is a fun read. I, I think this will be a fun read for a kid, man.
0: It is. We love this, and we love you.
2: Oh, thank you. We
3: love you for writing
2: that. Did you want to know about my other book? Well, you're more than welcome to mention it. Sure. I'll just mention it. Because it's actually an anthology. I didn't write it, but my stories is included in the anthology. And including 18 other women who have really met with some adversity and how they got through it.
3: What's the name of the book?
2: embrace the journey your path to spiritual growth
3: nice so it's
0: a
2: christian themed book oh yeah definitely
0: and yeah i think kathleen's is on page 117
2: right well you're really with it bill (laughs)
0: bill
3: comes prepared
2: wow you're great
0: what so what's your story about in this
2: well my story is about my husband's construction accident do you remember i told you last year oh yeah
3: terrible this is really tragic but also miraculous
2: it was we were just married four months he was a construction worker on the Fifth floor of a 12-story condo, and you're supposed to take down one ceiling form. The forms hold up the floor above. He took it down, and when that happened, all the other forms fell and pushed him outside of the building, and the building had no guardrails around it. So he fell feet first all the way down five floors oh onto a pile of cement debris. And he was wow. in the hospital for three months. It took him almost a year to learn how to walk again.
3: And it's a miracle he even lived.
2: Oh, he broke his back, crushed his left ankle, oh. broke his right ankle. We didn't know for about a week whether or not he was going to live or die. Oh wow. Now he's 81. And God is good.
3: But didn't this kind of turn the corner on his faith and your faith too?
2: Yeah, (laughs) it turned the corner on my faith big time. It was a growing experience for me. It was what I call in the book, a course correction, because, you know, you think your life is going very well and going to church, you're praying, you're doing this and that. You're happy. You have an appearance of a Christian, but Mm. you got a lot of garbage in you. It really does have to come out. And that's what I mean, too, about finishing well.
3: We appreciate you. Appreciate your book. Tell everyone where they can find your books. Make sure to tell the names of the books. And also, if you, if you have your website and any social media you want to plug.
2: Well, as always, you can get For the Love of Big Beluca on Amazon. But also, if you go into your brick-and-mortar bookstores like Barnes & Noble mm-hmm. and order it, you can get it through any bookstore yeah and just say, uh, I'd like to order on For it. the Love of Big Beluca by Kathy Barrett, or K.M. Barrett is what I have on there now. And social media, kathybarrettwrites.com. I have K.M. Barrett author. But kathybarrettwrites.com Is my website
3: For the love of Big Baluka, I feel like that should be Like a, in an everyday language Making you get uh, upset or something When you drop an anvil on your foot Yes <laughs> for the love of Big
2: <laughs> too much. I, I love being on your show And I think you make a great pair To do a show like this No really Both are wonderful <laughs> Thank, Thank you. you Thank you
0: And I have to say as always If you go to our archives shows On Spotify, Our Heart Radio and the show notes I'll have all her links and how to get it. I'll make it real easy to find.
3: It. Pleasure having you on. We'll have to have you on again. Keep writing and when your next book drops, give us a call. We'll have you back on and talk about it. I
2: love it. Thank you guys. God
3: bless. Will, I love to end the show on a positive note like that. Spiritual note and inspirational note. So with that, that's another one of the books, Our Thing on 1010 The King. We'll see you next week. God bless. Have a good week. We out.